Hi there. This is Dennis Velko with Out Bureau. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of Out Bureau Voices, where we have engaging conversations with LGBTQ entrepreneurs, professionals, and community leaders from around the world. And today we are joined by Alfred Van Hoofen. He is from Amsterdam and is currently working on his PhD in marketing. That's going to be interesting to talk about um, why and how and everything that he got to that point. So welcome to the show, Alfred. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Oh, well, wonderful. Again, I appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day in probably chilly Amsterdam. I have been to Amsterdam uh, a couple of times, although it's been many years. Um, but uh, luckily, it was always in the spring and the fall. <laughs> Well, the summer is present as well, and we had a real winter this year for, for the first time in years. We could skate on the canals, which is always a rustic site. So but we went from minus 14 um, centigrade to plus 14 this weekend in just one week, which is quite unusual. Oh, wow. Uh, there's, there's no more ice or snow now. There were piles of snow outside, but not anymore. Winter is pleasant, uh, though, in, in, in Amsterdam as well. Oh, okay. Well, I'm. I have lived in the uh, in Europe and uh, Northeast United States and the Midwest here for many years of my life. Vast majority of my life, I've spent in those in the northern regions. And I'm sorry. I just I love being in Southern Florida. I grew up in Florida, uh, in Central Florida, uh, near Tampa and Orlando. A lot of people know those uh, cities. And um, yeah. I, I just can't do the outside of a short visit. I just can't do the cold and the snow. Uh, just, just not me. Uh, I've had enough of it. Um, well, um, Alfred, you know, you, you talk us, talk us through a little bit of your background. You're obviously in the marketing space, correct? Or is the degree a kind of a new venture? Give us a little bit of insight into your background. Okay. Well, yes, I'm in marketing, but I was trained as a lawyer. I have a law degree. Uh, which are too out of interest more than out of a ambition to become a lawyer or anything legal. It's a very interesting study. Uh, I finished it in 85 at Leiden University, the oldest university in the Netherlands. Um, but right after that, I went into the army, um, which was then still compulsory. And I started as a management trainee in marketing and sales, which was co coincidental more or less. Um, I didn't know what to do with a law degree that would, you know, not be legal. So I happened to stumble into marketing and sales, 87. Um, and I've been in there ever since. And I started being self-employed about 20 years ago. Before that, I was employed by ING Group, the big financial group mostly. So I've been self-employed for 20, 21 years now as a marketing consultant, interim manager, freelancer. And in between, I've taken a sabbatical um, to start my PhD called Marketing the Rainbow. It's almost self-explanatory, but I will talk about it later in a bit more detail. And that was 2009. And since then, I've been working on that research. And I'm now in the final, final phases. And my professor and I agree that we will run it off this year. So it's uh, uh, the, the horizon is in sight, let's say. Well, wonderful. And so 
did I hear you say like from the you know? And I do get the 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 concept of the comp uh, compulsory you know military, um, but was is was it that that kind of pulled you into the marketing, or was just after uh, that well, stint in the military? It, it was after um, my army training was uh, I was drafted as young men were at the time. Um, and it was interesting because I was in military intelligence, which is uh, not so much secret as it was at the time. And I was an interrogator of prisoners of war in Russian. So I learned Russian in the army, um, having spent already a semester in Moscow before then. So I had a view of both sides of the Iron Curtain before uh, it, it disappeared. Oh, wow. um, and that was interesting for me, in the most interesting way to spend my I had 22 months in the army. I could have also been digging holes and running with uh, trees on my back, but I, I prefer to study a language, which was very useful and interesting. So it didn't change my uh, career perspective because it was just an additional skill that I acquired, Russian. Mm -hmm. um, and after my army days, I just was looking for a job and management trainees were normally recruited from any university graduates could be economics or law or a language and then trained in inside the company to be well manager of sorts and i was done i was drafted by ing as a management trainee and ing gave me the training uh, into marketing and sales yes well and and uh, and you said that were that was the mid to late 80s say it again sorry that was the mid to late 80s it was 87 Okay. And I spent 10 years in, in the group, I got two different companies that I worked for, and I quickly found out that marketing and sales cannot really be taught. Sales, you can't, you can't teach sales. Sales is an acquired skill that, you know, you, you, you cannot really uh, be taught. And marketing you can learn about, but if you don't have to hang for it, it's also difficult to, to be taught. You have to have certain qualities, you know, uh, to be successfully performing in both marketing and sales and I happened to fall in the right place and um, I was happily doing so um, for 10-12 years before I started being self-employed in that same field. Mm. I guess I would probably restate that is that you know uh, any skill can be learned. I mean a lot of uh, selling is going through making sure you're saying you know if you've never been taught on the proper things to say you know to close a deal that just doesn't come through magic right having a mentor and a coach coach you through that someone can learn those skills that doesn't mean they're going to be the world's greatest salesperson um but marketing is more of an art um where it's, it's kind of, and I would use that analogy, you know, you can take painting lessons after painting lessons after painting lessons or drawing lessons after drawing lessons. But if you just don't have that kind of innate, innate ability and, and interest, the likelihood of being, you know, good enough, for example, to sell your paintings is probably slim. You know, you might be enough to give away to your friends and family or force upon them. But, um, but yeah, marketing is much more of an art and, and part science, uh, bringing in psychology, bringing in color theory, 
you know, what, what kind of colors um, influence people and why. And a lot of that's also cultural. Um, and of course, you know, fonts, what do people think about a font, a sans serif versus a, a modern block? And, you know, how does that make them feel? And, you know, some of that psychology, it's subjective, it's test, it's so many different things. Um, well, very interesting though, we have a, a slight little bit of a connection. Um, I also was in the military, um, uh, served in, the, uh, in Germany, which is where uh, my German skills, I learned German, not in the military as part of my job, uh, but because I was living there um, and my first boyfriend was German, Uwe, uh, and we lived off uh, and we lived off base. Um, I still had to maintain a, uh, a military, you know, quarters, a military. Yeah, part of the room that was designated for me, my, you know, my bed, my dresser, my uh, trunk or the, you know, wall unit to hang my clothes, my military clothing in. But I, but I actually lived off base. The vast majority of the three years um, uh, that I was in the military while also in Germany. And cause we dated for about two and a half years. And, um, but he did import export. So he always wanted to speak English. So at home, even with him, we always spoke English. Um, but it was, I always felt like, all right, I'm in Germany, therefore I need to speak German. I need to learn it. So every time I would go to the, go out, go to the cafes, go to the coffee shops and so forth, I spoke as much German as I could. Then after the military, after, um, my time in the military, I stayed in Europe, uh, in, for, um, in Germany, uh, and went from a small, a smaller town called Aschaffenburg. Uh, which is south of Frankfurt, uh, moved to Frankfurt and uh, helped open up the very first technology call-in support center. Um, but my, my tie-in there was one, military, two, language skills while in the military, which um, uh, although I'm rusty, ich spreche Deutsch, also ich kann auf Deutsch überreden, uh, I can speak and, and I can have a small conversation in German still, um, would love to rekindle that. But my, my second boyfriend of nine years uh, was in the U.S. Army whenever we first met and was in counterintelligence. And um, his dealio, there's a book actually written about our relationship because uh, he was in counterintelligence this time, late 80s, early 90s, and uh, was dealing with uh, that same people from that same country, from Russia, uh, who were in Frankfurt. So it was like really interesting. Um, I, I could actually do a probably a whole segment on that era. Again, there's actually a book written about it um, because we we went through him being gay and then the Russians there noticing, I had to learn counterintelligence maneuvers. So still, so still today, uh, if you- Viewers that are there. Pardon? 
there are maneuvers for that, are there? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, if you know, if you are, uh, if you believe you're being followed, I mean, you know, it's more difficult to do, but if you're in a city like Frankfurt, like Amsterdam or something, um, you know, I had to learn how to spot people. Um, and because they were following us, I mean, no kidding. We were watching, do you remember the movie called uh, Hunt for Red October? If, if if folks out there, if you haven't seen it, it's a great okay, old okay. movie. I, you you yes, you mentioned you 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 saw it. But if you if you and the audience, of, of viewers and listeners, if you haven't seen it, if you have, put in the comments down below and let me know, and maybe share one of your favorite Cold War spy espionage movies. Maybe maybe if I haven't seen it, we'll check it out. Um, but uh, we were actually sitting in a very small uh, theater in Frankfurt, Germany, which was just on the other side of the um, Russian tourist agency, tourist agency, mm -hmm. I forget what it was called, but people would notoriously go into the in tourist, in tourist, yes, in tourist, this, they would go into it and come out on the other side of town. And um, that's a counterintelligence maneuver if you're speaking of it. So yeah. So while while we were sitting watching this movie, one of the head people uh, for them in Frankfurt, uh, he and his wife were sitting uh, three rows behind us to the right. And uh, Chris, during one of the early things, happened to turn around and he goes, "Oh my God, there's so and so." And I'm like, who? Who again? And he said his name. I'm like, oh, he's like the second in command, right? He's like, yes. He and his wife, you know, with said her name, are three rows behind us. And I said, oh, well, that's quite interesting. You know, this is like the second week of this movie being out. You know, it wasn't like it was the first couple of days, right? And um, so after the movie, uh, we, we, uh, they left just before the movie ended. Then when we left, we were going off to go have dinner. And then lo and behold, who's at the same place? And he's like, oh, this isn't coincidence. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but they're very obvious, right? So let's just not worry about it. And he's like, yeah, well, Dennis you know, two guys going to the movies and then out to steak dinner together seems kind of, well, at any rate, so that's when he started training me. And uh, so one of the, if, if you're, if, honeys, if you're ever out there and you want to lose a trick, right? The guy keeps following you, whatever, doesn't have to be espionage. This is what you do. If you are in a major, you know, a metro area where you have these things. The, the, the key point is if you think you're being followed for whatever reason, three modes of transportation, that's how you, that's how you definitely lose someone. So, because one, they know they're going to be made, they know they're going to be spotted. Okay. And, uh, but it's also safety. So one, get yourself into a crowd Get yourself, you know, if you're on a side street, obviously get to somewhere where there's more people. So, uh, so you're walking, look back frequently, let them know you see them. Then they're going to go, they're going to leave. Okay. If you don't do that, jump on a bus, jump on a taxi or an Uber or whatever, jump on a subway. 
the, the point is, is three modes of transportation because there is no way that serendipity would have them by chance on the same three modes of transportation ending and, and resulting in the same place. Like those people um, who followed us was, um, you know, was it by chance they were in the same theater? Yes. Was it by chance they were in the same restaurant? Maybe it was in the area. It was a nice restaurant, but there's no way they would be at the third. So at any rate, sorry. Um, again, um, I, I should bring, I should, uh, I, the, uh, the, the name of the book is where a chapter in is called, it's by a good friend called Stephen Zeeland, Z-E-E-L-A-N-D. And the book is called Barracks, Buddies, and, so and Soldier Lovers. And it's, uh, it's I, I forget what chapter it is. I think it's chapter three. He changed our names to Randy and Robbie uh, to protect the to protect innocent. The innocent. Yeah. So, anywho, so sorry, so sorry. I have stories of Amsterdam too, but I won't go down that path right now. <laughs> so, so you you did numerous years now. So you're you're focusing on your PhD in marketing, and you you talked about uh, marketing the rainbow. And yes. so, talk talk a little bit about what 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 was your your desire you know out of you know going into the phd what are you hoping to achieve with that in your focus um there were two reasons i started it in 2009 um, the first was that three of my friends just um got their phd in three totally different fields of um expertise and it was an interesting ceremony and um, quite an achievement to reach that phase. So I was in admiration of those three friends. And then two of my clients, both um, large telecom companies, T-Mobile, the German one, and the KPN, the Dutch one, they both asked me at different points in time, how can we reach the gay consumer? Because I was openly gay and they wanted to know from me how they could reach the gay consumer. So I said, why? Like you, I like to ask why. Um, and they said, well, because they are rich and they have a higher income and they are trendsetters and they live a luxury lifestyle. And it's like, I didn't recognize that. And I, I didn't think it was true. So at that point, I decided to make it a subject and research it in, 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 to more, in more depth uh, as a PhD. It was difficult to find a promoter, a professor who could uh, assist me because nobody had done this subject before. And although it was marketing, it was also sociology about, you know, uh, minority marketing and sexual identity and it was political things were involved, uh, marriage equality and everything. So. Uh, one thing I'll interject for you to know where that stereotype of the dual income, no kids, wealthy, you know, gay person comes from. Um, so, uh, I'll link below, um, as well, uh, the interview that I did with Todd Evans of Rivendale Media. I know Todd. Awesome, awesome guy. So, uh, in that, in that interview, uh, he talks about they, because Rivendell is one of the oldest, longest running marketing companies. They sell all the advertising for 95% of all LGBT media in the U.S. and Canada. 
And so, um, we, and the person who started it, like was doing marketing for Elton John's first American tour. I mean, cause it was like 42 years old. So, uh, we'll link down below. If not search for it, uh, uh on, on, uh, YouTube or on your audio app, or just come to outbureau.com under episodes and search Todd Evans and Rivendell media. So uh, in that uh, dialogue, uh, what they did is to first convince uh, or to, to go after for marketing, because that's what they were selling the advertising for LGBT media. They wanted to know, uh, every advertiser wanted to know, well, what's your demographics? So what they did is their first study, first ever study was looking at the major publications, so the major publication in New York, Chicago, and in Washington, and San Francisco, who were their biggest, you know, uh, average, who were their biggest newspapers and magazines at the time, and what was their demographics. So when, when people cite that study, which has been perpetuated over and over and over and over again, that's not all gays and it's not all gay media not all gay websites not all gay publications it was just those four or five at that time and so it's just been something that people like to kind of they've heard it gets perpetuated and they don't know the backstory of um so for you and your future and for your customers that's where that came from. And, and it unfortunately does, a very, it does because of the, it's not their fault. It's not, you know, Rivendell Media's fault. Um, it's, it's the people who take that. And then because LGBT media uh, around the world then started utilizing that same demographic perf, uh, a persona as if it was their own, but it's not. Right. Because, you know, the the um, the, the 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 LGBT media in Cologne or Berlin or London or or Manchester or even Amsterdam is going to be different. Yeah. And even when you're looking at media within even those cities like New York, no, not all LGBT people, even in New York City, are rich, wealthy, and have a lot of extra income. There's a lot of poor people and so forth. But it was just those particular media brands and what, you know, it's like those who, those who get the National Geographics and the New York Times. If you, if you read those two publications, you are likely this demographic. Well, that's not the same demographic if you pick up your local newspaper in Miami. So, so anywho, just wanted you to know that and wanted our audience to know that, and especially those in the marketing. Don't cite those studies if you do your own, well, damn it. It's a, it's a <laughs> point which I came across when I f wanted to find resources to, to back up my story, and I found these um, research, research agencies, like respected, like Rivendell, um, and some others that were blowing up the figures of the total disposable income of LGBT in the United States or anywhere um, to incredible figures because it was in their interest that it would be as big as possible because then 
everybody wanted to take part of it, but didn't know how I would come to them to help them find uh, those customers. And uh, I just wrote an article called The Myth of Gay Affluence, um, inspired by Lee Badgett, a respected uh, scholar in this field. And, and she has written about this in the 80s already, that the assumption that gays are rich and affluent and trendy and, you know, that is all myths because you also have the homeless LGBT youth and you have the, the, the pink seniors who have no pension or no income to spend. And if research agencies, and including sources like New York, New York Times have quoted incorrect figures that have been quoted and cited and used by the World Bank and by the Supreme Court of the United States um, to the detriment of the community because they were blown out of proportion for commercial yeah. reasons and at the same time abused by others. Um, for instance, you know, Scalia, the judge uh, from the, on the Supreme Court who died for three, four years ago, mm -hmm. um, he quoted uh, the figures of gay affluence and said that Colorado had the right to deny rights to the LGBT because they had a disproportionate political power and wealth. So it even reached the Supreme Court and I tried to filter out the uh, results from dubious researches to the more reliable ones and um, Bob Whittek, presume you know him, mm -hmm. a friend of mine. He's a very respected and, and well-established researcher and scholar for the last 30 years in this field. He has placed these things into perspective. And where some agencies use the 10% rule uh, that Alfred Kinsey defined in the 40s and 50s of, of last century, they say 10% of the population is LGBT, uh, the average income is this, uh, so the total uh, spend, uh, uh, income that they have to spend is 10% times this. Mm. Disregarding the fact that it's not 10%, but more like 4, 5, 6%, and that the income is not higher than average, because uh, gay males make a lower inc uh, uh, income than, than straight males. Yes. And you just mentioned uh, double income, no kids, the famous DINK uh, abbreviation. Um, my clients did not use DINK because they didn't look at the no kids, they looked double income. And in fact, gay and lesbian households have a higher percentage of being single households than double households compared to the straight population. But the no kids thing is actually the key to the whole, the secret to my whole PhD. Um, People who have no children have more money to spend uh, on themselves and more time to spend it. However, it doesn't mean it uh, doesn't mean that you need to be gay or, or lesbian to fall into this category because straight people without children are also interesting as a group, mm -hmm. but they cannot be found because there is no website for uh, um, childless straight couples and no. Um, skating clubs and no uh, gay games or um, straight without children games. They, they cannot be found. Whereas the LGBT is so organized into so many groups and associations and friendly societies and events that they can be reached. So they became a more interesting target group with the lack mm. of children. Also, lack of children is 80% or more in the LGBT households and it's only 20% in straight households. So also there is a big uh, difference.
I, I will also interject for you, just in case you've not thought of it, is um, one of the people you should also reach out to in, in on Out Bureau and in the group on LinkedIn, his name is Andy Kramer. Okay. Uh, with, with a C. Um, he has an app for caregivers and disproportionately they have a high number of people who self-identify as LGBT. And so people with the no kids also often become the de facto caregiver of an ill or elderly family member because the people with kids, then they have their kids to tend to, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so, and, and being the caregiver of someone, I, there's many times it, it affects their jobs. Sometimes they lose their jobs. And there's, so there's many factors that I think that would be a really great connection for you. Um, and, and so also a plug for, for him is, um, if you know of anyone out there in our listening audience, if you yourself or know anyone out there who is a caregiver, especially in these current times of COVID, caring for children at home. I'm an adoptive parent myself. Um, or, you know, let us know down in the uh, show, to, uh, let us know down in the comments, are, are you a caregiver at home caring for family members or your kids? Do you need a little bit of help? If so, also check out Andy Kramer's um, app. Uh, I'll put a, a link to that as well. It's a great uh, anonymous resource. But I thought from a marketing perspective is also thinking about those people um, might, might be interesting to put in your data set that you're building. Uh, another group that I think uh, you'll want to uh, possibly, if you've not connected with, is Scott Seitz of SPI uh, Media, uh, SPI Marketing. So his name is Scott Seitz, S-E-I-T-Z. Um, I actually have to get his second interview out, uh, but I um, um, already have one out with him. Um, they do a lot of actual studies as well. So I think okay. it'd be great, great for your, great for your uh, work. Well, m most information has been assembled for my thesis. I have about 700 pages of, uh, of text, um, which will be uh, condensed down to about 250 because it will be too much if it's more than that. So I've taken out all the case studies and the examples and, uh, and, and made them into separate articles like the ones I showed you before. Um, I just published one on Heineken beer uh, earlier this week. Um, so I have my information. I'm now streamlining my thesis down to the core of 200 to 250 pages uh, because my professor has uh, also written a book called Doing the Right Thing, which is about corporate responsibility. And actually, when I write an article about some company like Chevrolet or Budweiser or Heineken um, doing marketing the rainbow, they are quite foul like yeah but it's pink washing they just want our money it's not true and even though i can prove you know in my article that they are considering the community and they are you know linked to a charity and it's not just for pride that they do something pink washing is an accusation that's easily flung around when um, a company uh, a mainstream company uh, tries to approach the lgbt customers um, so doing the right thing is the reason why they do it. Um, diversity in all respects, including gender and race and uh, ability or disability, has been uh, moving up on the list of priorities for many companies in the last 
10 to 15 years. And one good example is Starbucks. Um, there was a general meeting of shareholders like four or five years ago where this, let's say, rebellious shareholder who's probably from the American Family Association or the One Million Moms group, if that says something to you, the um, religious right, let's boycott them all uh, group groupings. And this guy stood up during the general meeting of, um, of uh, shareholders at Starbucks and asked the CEO, you are hanging the rainbow flag on your main office um, during Pride and you are giving attention to LGBT uh, employees and customers. I don't like that. You should be focusing on your business making coffee. And then the CEO historically said, sir, with due respect, this is our core business and diversity is what we are. And you made 35% profit on your shares last year. If you don't like that, go somewhere else. And he got a standing ovation from the rest of the audience. So this one rebel shareholder with his bigoted views was mowed down by the CEO with good arguments saying, we do our business, we do it well, you make money. And in the meantime, we are diverse and inclusive. It doesn't exclude each other. So mind your own business. That's what he didn't say, but he meant. And he, and he said, um, go somewhere else if you don't like it. Well, and to back that up, is study after study demonstrate, and even economic books has, have been written about focusing, when companies do focus on diversity and inclusion and creating a welcoming space, it actually has the opportunity to increase their bottom line by up to in and around 30 to 35 percent. So all of those gains that that uh, right-wing shareholder received could possibly, based on studies, be directly attributed to the corporation focusing on diversity and inclusion. Um, so very interesting. Danger, sorry, there's danger of backlash. Um, I mean, if one million moms cries foul and says that everyone should boycott Walmart for the transgender bathroom discussion, it always backfires. It's always beneficial for the company when those, those people uh, want to have a boycott. But it could also, it was perceived 20 years ago as not done to, you know, um, use a, an LGBT uh, protagonist in your commercial. There shouldn't be a gay couple or lesbian person in there because it was not done. After 2015, and the SCOTUS verdict on uh, same-sex marriage, this has totally changed, and not just in the States, but all over the world, because this the floodgate opened like, okay, now we have achieved this. It has been approved by the highest legal institution in the world, let's say, um, not counting the, um, the not NGOs in, in The Hague. And so it's okay, and it's not just okay, it's also good to do it, and we should do it. And since 2015, Many, many companies have trodden this path and is not just doing the right thing, it's doing the best thing. And it, like you say, it improves bottom line, uh, directly attributed to being diverse and inclusive because when your employees are happy and themselves in all respects, they're more productive, they have less, less sick leave, they will stay with the company longer. Um, so you have much less expenses on your resources and a higher productivity. And then that's the first step. And then you can translate it to your marketing communication activities uh, in the same way. And um, 10 years ago, when I found a, uh, a commercial um, 
uh, that, that featured LGBT, and mainly thanks to Mike Wilkie, whom you might know of um, what was then called Commercial Closet, and now called Ad Respect. He has a whole file of thousands of print adverts and commercials featuring LGBT. Ten years ago, when another one found it, was like, oh, we found another LGBT commercial, look at this. And now on a daily basis, literally on a daily basis, people are sending me new materials of this company or the other. Like yesterday, Mike Milvey, the new Chevrolet commercial that they made in, in collaboration with Disney, um, where there is a, um, a gay couple driving in one of the cars. So it's, it's, it's a daily event now. The Super Bowl has uh, numerous commercials that, that are LGBT rainbow uh, uh, colored. So it's, it's almost mainstream now and you're foolish not to do it because, I mean, Marriott, the CEO just passed away, Arne Sorensen, he was a, an LGBT ally. And he stood, he said, you know, this is what, Marriott was founded by a really religious uh, family, the Marriott family, but still they found it in their hearts that it was good to be diverse and inclusive 10, 15 years ago. Um, in spite of their religious background, the same for J.C. Penney's, who had Eleanor Generous as a spokesperson. Uh, one million moms said, you shouldn't have because she's lesbian, she's lesbian, she's a bad role model. And J.C. Penney's, originally also a Christian conservative uh, family-founded company, said, this is what we want to do and we will keep on doing it because it's good. So I see the trend now, it's, it's accelerating and we see more and more companies and more and more commercials and not just around Pride Month, of course, that's the most logical time to do it, but throughout the year, um, fashion collections by Tommy Hilfiger and, and Adidas and other uh, sports and fashion companies. Um, it, it's run of the mill and it's good that it happens and still people say pink washing, which is uh, too easy, um, but it's luckily much more normal now than it was even five years ago, let alone 10, 15 years ago. Right. Well, on pinkwashing, just two years ago, there was a study that was done that showed that about 40% of the companies who rainbowfied their logo didn't even have LGBT inclusive benefits for their employees. So that's pinkwashing. That's pinkwashing. Uh, yeah. Now, um, and Frankly, it's very hard to find LGBT inclusive marketing examples. So that's why I love what you're doing because you're making it more accessible. You're writing articles about it. You're showing the history and the context. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have, you know, whenever I started seeing what you were doing, why I reached back out to you. I, I think we had touched base like a year or two or three mm -hmm. ago. And then uh, when I saw some of your recent postings, I was like, oh, that's great. Uh, because it does show. Because, you know, if you as an employee or if you as a job seeker, if you are trying to look for a new job, you, you know, you can't necessarily go based on what indexes have because it's self-reported and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, let's say you're looking for a job. And so if it, a study show that 57% of qualified candidates will click away if they don't see that the company has strong policies and, and, and truly inclusive environments, 57% of qualified candidates. So they're... 
that's the millennial influence because that's the most um, tolerant um, generation that we've ever had. And they, yeah. they are also very important for marketing, but also for HR um, reasons. Exactly what you're saying. They look at the company's uh, HR policy. They don't see diversity and inclusion. They say, well, then I don't want to work there. And, Absolutely. Um, my, my husband is... Um, um, CFO of a care facility and um, he, he's openly gay. I mean, we've been together for 34 years and he started that 20 years ago. So for him, it's normal and for, for his colleagues as well. Um, so I asked him, why, why don't you participate in Pride with your company? He said, well, it shouldn't be my initiative. And um, then two years ago, the, um, the personnel organization in the company said, Shouldn't we participate in Pride? This question I asked for years. And she said, well, if, if you want to, let's. It's um, mainly to show people, uh, both potential staff as well as present staff, but also their clients, their, their patients, that you can be yourself at this company. And for any, co any company not being a you know, non-profit, it's very expensive to participate in a Pride parade because... You may know that we have uh, operate on the canals. So it's on boats, on little floats. Uh, our floats really float. Uh, <laughs> but it's very expensive to participate. Um, let's say a company like um, uh, IBM or Netflix, they pay 50,000 euros just to enter if they are allowed to, if they have a good story about their desire to participate. It wasn't that expensive for my husband's company, but still it was expensive to participate, hire a boat, dress it up, and everything else. Right. So they did it, and they presented themselves to Amsterdam and the world, and we have about 400,000 visitors to Pride uh, every year. Um, you can come to us both as a patient and as a, as a staff member because we are open, diverse, and you can be yourself. And that was the important message. Even though they are not LGBT-owned or operated, and they don't have really have competition as a, as a care facility. They just wanted to make this statement. So future staff would say, okay, I can go there because I can be myself. Right, right. And I will, and, and you could let him know, I challenge his previous thought on that, you know, it should be someone else's view. Well, no, you're the CEO. And when staff see and people see LGBT people in positions of management and authority, it makes them feel more comfortable. So it's great that he was out and that already created a welcoming environment. But I, I mean, I could see why he, he wanted someone else that he possibly didn't want to be like, oh, well, I don't want to be like, just because I'm gay, I don't want it to be, you know, everything's gay. I can get that. But so it's good that others did. Um, but had I been talking with him, however many years ago, I would have been pressuring him hard. Well, I, I appreciate what you're saying, um, you, but you should place this into Dutch perspective because we have a very open society. I mean, we were the first to legalize same-sex marriage in 2001, first in the mm -hmm. world. And, you know, we've had legislation, the constitution will change shortly to include LGBT, especially on article one of the constitution. So for centuries, it's all been open and, and you know, accepting of, many 
refugees and other kinds of people from the French Huguenots to the, the, the Portuguese Jews. And everything is, as a matter of fact, nobody really pays attention to you being different or you're being gay or you being Moroccan or you being from Indonesia. It just, it's one big melting pot of society. Uh, so it was never, we never need, needed to make a point really, because uh, it was already done in, mm. in the 70s. Um, so for him as a CFO to propose for his non gay company to participate in an expensive event that because he was gay um, wouldn't really contribute to well I wouldn't say his um, um, reliability but it wasn't his call to make he wanted to be an initiative from his employees and, and they did it without him, him even uh, pushing for it so yeah, I, I mean I, I can see and understand that and uh, you know Evolution happens in all ways, so that's great. Um, well, cool. So, um, so you 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 mentioned for your thesis, mar uh, marketing the rainbow. You're gone from like seven hundred, and you're striving to get it down to two. And so you're 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 taking some of those the content uh, in and around each company and creating individual articles. Yes. And so, is there a um, do you have like a website where is your main place of distributing those or putting those up? Very much so. Um, it's called marketingtherainbow.info. Um, and there's a few chapters there. And one is called case studies. And on the case studies, there is like fast moving consumer goods, there's cars, there's um, home, uh, there's about 10 categories. And I think a total about 100 case studies that mo most were very recent because the last six months I've been devoting my time almost exclusively to um, to this uh, this uh, research. Um, so I've I've written Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, um, Sky Wodka, a number of them in the last two months or so. Wow. So they're up to date as to their recent activities. Um, my professor just suggested I should cut off my research in 2015 because of the flood of new material that was on the market. So my research itself, 250 pages, I want to boil it down to, will uh, look at history. And you said yourself, it was difficult to find good examples from before uh, 10 years ago, but I go back to the 50s of last century. Um, and then the first steps in the 90s as to TV commercials, and it, it, it progresses from there. But after 2015, when I had already assembled most of my materials, um, it's it just too much. And I take it into account, and I make the articles up to date with the uh, developments of, of, of the last six years, but they're not in my thesis as such. So I've, gotcha. I've taken out most of the... Case, I have some insight to give an example, like Absolute Vodka is for me the champion of gay marketing. So they are in my thesis itself to see what they've done since the 70s to support um, the LGBT community. And okay. like American Airlines is in there, I think, but most of them are taken out and, and separated into onto my website. So that's where you can find them. Okay, wonderful. And sure, you have to have some stopping point. Um, Especially with so so much uh, so much data, which which is great, um, and I I do like you know that you're have already started thinking about you know how to take this, especially with so much content, and how to do something bigger, 
and beyond yep. and make actually make something from your thesis, not just achieve the doctorate degree, but actually have a working product, an example. And, a, and I, I think it's great doing that documentation and, and historically putting into context, you're doing a service to the companies <laughs> because they, they, they appreciate my reviews, my articles. Um, and um, the reason I publish it is, first of all, it's in, it stands in the middle of society. Everybody sees it or, or knows it. And, and everyone I spoke to, from my managers at, at, at the telecom companies to uh, specialists, to everyone said, that's very interesting, but I don't know what's going on. So they will, I will tell you what's going on if you tell me your story. So I assembled all those stories into uh, this research and um, uh, made it into a readable story for the case studies, the articles, and the more scientific um, approach with you know footnotes and, and source uh, mentionings uh, in the thesis itself. Um, the, the three people that did their PhD, which is who inspired me to do mine, uh, wrote their stories about, one was um, about erectile dysfunctions, um, very, uh, known to many people before, uh, especially after Viagra. One was about the communications done in healthcare. People don't really you know, what's, know what's going on. And the third was um, artificial insemination of um, uh, people who are di have difficulty uh, conceiving. So those are interesting, but it, not to everyone. And I think what I'm writing about is something everyone sees, te television commercials, print advertisements, websites, Mm -hmm. and, and that placed them into perspective. And I try to make it readable for everyone, not just, you know, from a hoity-toity uh, scientific point of view, but for uh, to make it interesting with lots of visuals, because I have been many uh, uh, commercials, videos, clips, and also lots of print advertisement. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very visual and colorful because the rainbow comes back a lot of times. And um, your, your background is uh, is... is some sort of rainbow. Uh, it's very colorful and bright, and people like that. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a colorful, actual thing that people recognize and know about. Of course, they have right. their opinions about it as well. And uh, uh, I have to explain myself a lot of times all over again about why I, uh, a company is doing this and why I am doing this for a company. Are you being paid by Heineken to write about them? No, I'm not being paid. It's my. Uh, my update on what they have been doing. It's not, you know, a, a product placement of, of sorts. So it's, um, no, it doesn't make me any money. It's just interesting to find an audience who appreciates the uh, the output I give. Right. Well, and from it, you know, going for a PhD and having this kind of information, what obviously can lead to money is having the the vast knowledge and therefore as companies are wanting to have a consultant who understands historical context and progression uh, you're in a great place like no one else to be that paid consultant to come in and help their marketing department to get the message right. Because I imagine there has been some major mistakes along the way. Um, many, many mistakes. <laughs> I mean, 
amazingly stupid mistakes and insulting mistakes and you know uh, the Heineken article I just mentioned starts with um, their what we call gay vague or gay tease uh, commercials from the 90s where they use uh, gay stereotypes to make fun of and to make them ridiculous and to laugh instead of using them as you know valued consumers so that's called gay vague or gay tease and they progress to a very valid uh, uh, um, point of view and a good marketing strategy but there have been many mistakes even by the big brands uh, like Doritos. Doritos thought they were funny by making uh, user-generated content for the Super Bowl for a number of years and every year there is there are gay themes used in the user-generated content. Um, not always funny and, all, and sometimes insulting and they haven't used many of them. There are, I think I have seven or eight examples on my website. And then a few years ago, Doritos, which of course is Pepsi Lay, um, PepsiCo uh, Lays, they, they decided to better their lives and they are cooperating with a number of um, charities, like it, get it Gets Better. And they have now the theme Pride All Year. So they don't only link into Pride events or the International Day Against Homophobia, but they have a Pride All Year concept. So all year long they have um, LGBT themed commercials. And in fact, in December, Mexico, Doritos Mexico launched um, a beautiful lifestyle clip of two minutes where only you see only Doritos four seconds in the beginning of the, of, of the, of the video. That is about the coming out story that um, that really happened where the father uh, goes to Reddit to find advice on how to talk to his son about this. And this little clip from Doritos who always made these stupid insulting clips in the past, but now made a beautiful lifestyle clip. Um, they have got 14 million views in two weeks time. Wow. Um, and I, I found English subtitles because it's in Spanish and I placed it on my uh, YouTube channel and I got 200,000 views. Uh, that's, that's the highest I got for any of my 1,000 commercials. Lots of discussion, always positive. And interestingly, at the same time, I published a Cadbury commercial that was from January this year. Um, you know, Cadbury, the chocolate brand, mm -hmm. they have this cream egg, which is too sweet. For the, the, your, your teeth start falling apart when you look at it, the eggs. Uh, 50 years of, uh, of cream egg, they made a, a commercial called the Golden Goobly, very funny. Um, and in the one minute of the commercial, there's like seven seconds where there's two men twirling around and then biting in one egg, each at one side, like a lady in a vagabond with spaghetti, that kind of scene. The, their lips barely touch, um, but it created an outcry of hate and disgust in England. And again, from one million moms in the United States who don't even see this commercial because it isn't shown there, um, who want to punish Cadbury for um, pushing the gay agenda down their throat, which is a term often used. So whereas the Doritos commercial generated a lot of praise and positive uh, reviews and the like-dislike ratio is 25 to one, um, the Cadbury commercial is um, because it's, it's a sexual activity that you almost kiss. They say it was over-sexualized. You should have a look at it. It's really not over-sexualized. And their like-dislike ratio is one to one. 
and I've never ever seen it before. And it has a hundred hundred thousand views on my, on my channel, and I have fourteen hundred likes and fourteen hundred dislikes, which is amazing. Um, and I had to report about two hundred and fifty people to YouTube for hate speech. Hmm. I mean, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was there a number of times, and Bible quotes that I would go to hell, and people wishing I got cancer for place for for posting this. It was just amazing the load of filth coming out of the uh, and of the and talk about trying to push something down your throat. <laughs> That's I, you know, I grew up in a very right wing religious family, and I'm. 52 years old and every chance he gets he pushes religion down my throat quoting bible scripture just because i say the word community literally literally and it's and so it's like uh, who's doing what now you're the one you're the community who's constantly trying to push things down your throat you're the community who's who has tried to push laws and legislation to to force people to live away in your dogmatic religious belief systems that you don't even know, right? I mean, so that's a whole topic. The yeah, religious, the religious uh, conservatives who cl always claim the, you know the right to religion, the right to freedom of, um, they don't realize that the United States has a constitutional separation of state and church. So if that's anyone, very thin. Well, if, if any president ever forgets to end his speech with God bless America, he's, he's chastised. And exactly. Obama, Obama forgot it once in, four, in eight years' time, and he, he never heard the end of it. Um, that shouldn't be allowed. I mean, in God we trust, it says on the, on the banknotes. Why? There's, you know, it, it's a state thing, money. It's not the richest thing. Yeah. It, it's mostly That's, the richest yeah. people who, 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 you know, are vile about anything LGBT. In the Cadbury case, it was also people who thought that because chocolate is a children's product, I disagree, but anyway, uh, you shouldn't use a sexualized way of eating it. It's like, it wasn't sexualized. It was just two men who ate one egg. I wouldn't share my eggs, but then again, I wouldn't eat this cream thing. But it was amazing how much hate was generated by that one commercial. Um, well, at the very same time, the Mexican ones, and you would think Mexico is more conservative than the UK, was generating so much, uh, uh, generating so much uh, praise uh, instead. So, hmm. interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to uh, you also uh, sharing those, uh, not only in the LinkedIn group, but on outbureau.com. Uh, we do have uh, groups uh, for marketing. I uh, would love for you to be uh, part, uh, participate in those. Yes. Um, it's growing. Um, and, and as well, would love to follow on with conversations and get your feedback because on outbureau.com, the, the employer listing is an employer branding. I, I call that section of the outbureau uh, an employer branding platform. And there they're able to list the what they do for their marketing campaigns and employers can actually upload examples 
of their marketing material to demonstrate that they are inclusive and actively marketing uh, in there. So would love your feedback. Uh, Well, we've had a very uh, active conversation and I look forward to folks um, participating. Um, uh, uh, You know, check out his website and put, put a link or a comments below what your favorite commercial is or can you think of uh, those in the audience? Can you think of a an LGBT related commercial um, that that you just love? If so, go out uh, if you would please and link to it in the comments below on whatever app that you're on, and we'll make sure. Uh, that it's uh, that that company has uh, that he's done an article on it and have included it and just include those uh, for fun whether they're great romantic maybe one of those um, disgusting maybe disgusting inappropriate uh, we'd love for you to uh, share your favorite or your most hated or your most funny LGBT related commercial from yeah. a company. We would greatly appreciate that. And while you are looking at that, also please join Out Bureau at outburo.com and start your professional profile and engage in conversation there today. We'd appreciate seeing you on the site, the professional and entrepreneurial focused community. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch and and uh, seeing where you're going with all of this. It was my pleasure. And you will definitely be hearing from me very shortly. Awesome. Awesome. And again, thank you, everyone, for staying tuned to this very interesting episode. Um, reward yourself and be sure that you're notified of future releases as uh, of episodes as they become available. Be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button on whichever website or application that you are listening to this to. Again, please come join us at outbureau.com, O-U-T-B-U-R-O dot com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.